Yeah, it's good now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. Melissa Cook. I work with uh, the National Marine Fisheries Service in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Uh, I work for the Southeast Fisheries Science Center. That's good. So how do you like um, I absolutely love my job. It must be fun working with all the animals, water. It is. Um, I do kind of a mix of uh, some field work, but unfortunately I do spend a lot of time in my office uh, working on a computer. It's definitely a big part of being a scientist. Yeah, I understand. Um, so I guess we'll have a few questions since the Zoom only lasts like 45 minutes. Okay. Um, I'll post the more complex questions. So like, we all know that climate change if, um, Sorry, we all know that climate change will damage a lot of species, like rising sea levels and all that. But how were how were will rising sea levels turtle species in their migration patterns? So um, turtles have definite potential to be impacted by climate change, um, both with rising uh, temperatures as well as rising sea level. So as um, since turtles do nest on beaches. When as sea level rises, they're going to have less available space for nesting. Some of the other things that could happen is turtles, um, as areas warm, like traditionally areas, you know, further to the north that wouldn't be as cold, uh, become warmer. Turtles may start nesting in those areas. Those may or may not end up being good habitats since they're not traditional nesting areas. So that could impact the success of the the hatchlings, um, and even if, if the eggs um, are successful. Um, another really interesting thing about turtles is that the, um, the hatchlings, are, the sex of the hatchling is actually determined by the temperature of the sand. So um, warm sand produces females and cooler sand produces males. So as climate change occurs and we have a warming, there is a possibility that there will be even fewer males. And uh, so there's a great concern with the sea, within the sea turtle community of how that is really gonna be impacted with climate change. Wow, I didn't know about the temperature and the sex. I didn't know it was based off of that. Yeah, that it's, it's pretty wild. There's yeah. actually some nests where it's like perfect, where half of the eggs will be male and half will be female. And then usually um, nests that are laid early on in the year, those are, are primarily male. And then later when it's warmer, they'll all be female. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, so as you were talking about how like, this uh, climate change affects the turtles, what can we do to prevent sea turtles from being even more endangered? So there's lots of things that individuals can do or you can do as a group. Um, Obviously, arranging beach cleanups if you're in a coastal area, but even areas that are, are not right near the coast, you know, everything drains into the ocean. So even if you're doing a cleanup of a river area and, and things like that, all of that has an impact, as well as um, reducing pollution, uh, reducing your use of single-use plastics. These are things that often wind up in the ocean, and uh, unfortunately, sea turtles can confuse this stuff as food. Um, another thing would be um, fishing line it can be really dangerous to turtles and other animals. So if you're fishing, make sure that 
you're disposing of uh, unused lime properly, um, as well as, you know, at, at home pesticides, trying to use more natural pesticides instead of lots of chemicals that can eventually make their way into, into the oceans. And then looking at it globally, I mean, there's a lot of places where, you know, they, they, we really need to work on pollution and cleaning up and, and just trying to make the, the world a cleaner place. So like it's mainly just what humans have to do in order to make them like less endangered. Really, it is. Sea turtles have been around for about 130 million years. Wow. And uh, so they were living um, at the time of, you know, dinosaurs. And it really took humans just a few hundred years to decimate their numbers. So it really is primarily a, a human a human problem. There are, of course, our natural predators, you know, with, with any species, but, you know, the, the real reason that turtles have become either threatened or endangered is because of issues with human activity. So would you say that it's like a more specific turtle type that's endangered, or would they like all equally the same amount? Um, overall, um, there's, there's only, um, in, in the U.S., um, we have, uh, there's only seven species of sea turtles in the world. So there's not a lot of, of, and of uh, different species. And all of them are either considered endangered or threatened. So I would say, you know, all of them have problems. Here um, in the U.S. and the Gulf of Mexico, I would say that the Kemp's Ridley sea turtle and, and potentially even globally would be the most critically endangered. That's what it's classified as. But one of the reasons for that is primarily it is a Gulf of Mexico and, and somewhat Atlantic species. The majority of nesting occurs in Mexico. So for that reason alone, it doesn't have the global distribution that other sea turtle species have. Oh, okay. So like, even if like, it's just like that's more endangered, they're like all endangered because of like climate change and all that. They're either endangered or a little bit better, better than endangered is threatened. But they, but they are still um, in the U.S. They are all considered protected. Like a high risk, yeah. So, um, on average, how many eggs do they lay? Like, is it like a amount that they lay per year? Like, yes. So it, it does depend on the species and, of course, um, the size the size of the turtle. Um, but they can lay, and the numbers will of course vary anywhere from about seventy-five to one hundred and fifty eggs um, each time they, they they nest. And I've seen numbers, you know, as, as even lower, you know, in the 60s and as high as 200. But on average, we usually say about 75 to 150. And a turtle will nest multiple times during a nesting season. So there's usually like at two week intervals. And the number of times that happens really depends on the species of turtle and the age of the turtle. Usually younger turtles won't nest as many times, but older turtles um, may nest more often. And they typically will take a break um, and they'll maybe nest every two to three years. So they don't nest, you know, back to back years typically. Okay, well, that's very interesting. I figured that they like nest like probably only one time a year, but like, I guess not. Nope. Well, that was one of my questions. Do they nest more than once a year? Um, 
would you say that there are like other like for us there's multiple like animals that like are kind of like the same as us but would you say that there's other animals that are like sea turtles I thought that was a great question and I really thought long and hard about that when you're when you're comparing like other marine creatures to sea turtles and I mean unless I've just missed something, I would say no. And one of the biggest reasons for that is because they come out of the ocean to lay their eggs. Yeah. There, I was trying to think if there was any other marine creature that does something that's so different where they're literally leaving the marine environment. We're not starting off in the marine environment, you know, where you have, you do have fish that make long migrations that are coming from you know, fresh water to salt water and salt water to fresh water to reproduce. But there's, so that would be, that would probably be my closest thing. But even that I would say is a stretch. But um, so they really, they really kind of are unique in that sense. Yeah. So like they're like like their own things. They like to do their own ways. Doing their own thing. Yes. (laughs) Um, what would you say your favorite part of your job is? I know you said you mainly work in the office, but it must be some good thing. I, I would say I really love going in the field. Um, so even though I don't get to do it most of the time anymore, I used to, um, when I first started this, I would spend a lot of time out on research vessels, uh, doing all kinds of different stuff. Now I don't get to do it quite as much, but anytime I get the opportunity to go out in the field, that's really my, my favorite part. It just makes my day. So whether we're out there um, catching turtles and putting satellite tags on them, or um, I've done different kinds of drift studies just to try to understand uh, sea turtle strandings better. A- anytime I can be out on the water is a good day. And when you're out, when you're out have you ever like experienced cool or wonderful things during your travels or work? Uh, yes, probably far too many to talk about in 45 minutes. <laughs> you know, um, NOAA Fisheries has large white, large research vessel, vessels that are you know almost 200 feet long. So going out on those vessels, I've been able to see you know numerous species of whales and dolphins, whale sharks, um, of course leatherback sea turtles. Um, you know, multiple species of sea turtles, Kemp's Ridley's, loggerheads. Um, I've been to different places. I was able to go, this wasn't on sea turtle research, but I was able to go into Cuba um, back about over 20 years ago. Um, so I've, I can actually say I've been to Cuba. Uh, so there's just, and, and the ocean is just full of so many amazing creatures that I, I feel very lucky I've been able to see just a small glimpse of a hand, you know, a handful of them. And, and even that, that's just, you know, several hundred. And you said you're from Mississippi, like that's where your travel, like where you're based. Like, were you, do you live like all the time? Or was it like your work that made you move there? It was my work that made me move there. Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so landlocked. But um, I went to college in North Carolina and received um I earned a degree in biology with a marine concentration, and then working for NOAA Fisheries was my my first job. And what made you choose to become a marine biologist? Like, did you always want to do it, or is it like, just clicked? Um, I would say that I've always had an interest in in biology, science, 
Um, I've been inquisitive and, you know, I'll always loved animals. And um, I initially did go to college for something else and changed my mind and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And then just really started thinking about it and decided that that marine science was was where I wanted to focus. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting topic. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Do you happen to know what level of the food chain the sea turtles are located on? So it depends really on what life stage the turtles are are at, where they are in the food chain. Unfortunately, hatchlings are very low on the food chain and they tend to be food for a lot of different creatures. Um, As they get larger, um, then it, it also depends on the species where you have uh, sea turtles, like green sea turtles, basically eat seagrasses. So, um, so they're different as opposed to your omnivorous turtles that are a little bit higher up as far as what they're eating. Um, but they're never, you know, a, a top uh, a predator. They will never, you know, turtles are definitely not apex predators like sharks and whales and things like that. Um, they, they do still have issues to predation, but they have a very unique place in the food chain um, and in their role in the ecosystem, depending on what species, because they all serve different roles. Um, so if they, they're on the lower version of the food chain, we're kind of, what do they eat? Like, I know they like eat multiple types, but like what specific foods do they eat? So if we're talking, so... Um, and I wouldn't say they're low, low on the food chain. It just is like lower, especially when they're hatchlings, they're definitely lower, but as they, they go, they go, um, as they grow and mature, adults are definitely higher on, on the food chain as being consumers. Um, so like green sea turtles are, um, are herbivores. So they eat seagrasses. So it's, it's their role to, um, to help the ecosystem, the seagrass ecosystem. So they'll graze on, on various seagrasses, um, which actually helps keep the seagrass beds healthy. Uh, hawksbill turtles will eat sponges and corals. Uh, so they're more of a reef affiliated species. Then you've got things like loggerheads and Kemp's Ridleys and olive Ridleys that tend to eat more crabs and tunicates. Um, they'll scavenge on fish. Uh, especially here um, in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, And then leatherback sea turtles will eat jellyfish. So those are more of a deep diver and um, they they tend to uh, be more in the open ocean uh, consuming different jellyfish. So like it's like all over, like depending on the sea turtle type. It is, it really, it really varies. Um, So I figured that turtles strap ask and like I have a turtle that I'm tracking from the company fellow so it's like you follow them around and my turtle is like traveling far in the same sections but like long distances so I was wondering when and why do sea turtles like migrate and travel such long distances okay well so as hatchlings um the turtles don't have enough of enough of um enough strength basically to overcome the current so they're drifting so they're migrating in that way, just as passive drifters throughout throughout the ocean. Um, the majority of nesting here in the U.S. we have in the Gulf of Mexico, and really most of it is on the Florida Atlantic side. But it does go all the way up 
the East Coast. So I would say, you know, we'll have nesting in North Carolina and a little bit north of that, but the majority is is south of, of North Carolina. And um, so early on as hatchlings, they're drifting and, um, and just moving with the ocean currents. And they do that, which we call the lost years for, you know, one, two, five years or more, depending on the species again. And then once they reach a certain size, then they will start migrating into near shore feeding areas. So one of the reasons they're, they're migrating early on is for protection because as, you know, small little tiny hatchlings, they're basically food for so many things. So they drift and migrate out into the open ocean where they're in sargasm beds. So these big mats full of seagrasses, and that's where lots of little baby animals live and grow. So it's a real great source for protection. And then they'll migrate again into nearshore habitats and then where they'll spend years growing and feeding. And then eventually once they reach maturity and depending on the species, it can take anywhere from about 12 to 15 years for Ridley turtles to reach sexual maturity to as many as 20 to 30 years for greens and loggerheads to reach maturity. So in that case, by then they have possibly moved far from their um, natal beaches in a lot of cases, turtles will either return to the same beach or they'll return to the vicinity. So they may, you know, as I told you, they nest multiple times in a nesting season. They don't necessarily nest at the exact same spot every time. They may move, you know, several miles. And in some cases, you know, they'll be in one state and hop over to the next state. Um, so, so that second or that next migration really is more for breeding purposes. So they do migrate then back to the area, their natal um, areas, and, and then um, return back into feeding grounds after mating and nesting is over. So I, I just came up with this question, but you kind of answered already. So I'm guessing like it's like semi-possible for them to go back to the same beach that they nested or like were hatched on? Yes. Okay. So like there's like a reason why or just like it's like the main place that they're from? So, um, I mean, I would think, and this is just a speculation because I've never thought about it this deeply before, but I mean, they were successful. You know, this is, they, you know, their mother nested there. It was a successful nesting. They hatched. So going back to the same place or same area increases your chances of success. You know, you came from there, worked for mom, should work for me. Um, and then, um, there are areas, like I said, uh, about Kemp's Ridley's, where they actually, I mean, they kind of put all their eggs in one basket, where there is about a four mile stretch of beach in Mexico where, where they primarily nest all Kemp's Ridley's. So Ridley turtles do something um, where they will nest in, in mass called an arabata, where thousands to tens of thousands of turtles will nest over the same like 24 hour, 36 hour period. So there will just be thousands of turtles nesting. And the logic with that is there are just so many eggs that the predators in that area couldn't possibly consume all of the eggs. We're not talking people, but like natural predators um, couldn't possibly consume all the eggs. So that, that theory um, and evolution has tried to help uh, increase their success. But um, what happens with hatchlings is um, supposedly they imprint 
so as they hatch and go from from the egg and make their little their little stroll and, and scurry down to the water, they are imprinting on that beach and that area, and that helps them 20, 30 years later find the way find back. The way back. Mm -hmm. So as you were saying, like about nesting, I just thought of another thing. Is it possible for two different species to like um, nest together? Not nest together, but like create babies together? I forgot. Uh, yeah, hybrids. Yes, hybrids. <laughs> it is. It is possible for hard shells to to definitely do that. Um, you probably wouldn't. I don't know about a leatherback and um, a hard shell. I'll probably be less likely, but hard shells. So all the other species um would could definitely do that there have been there has been some evidence of of like green and loggerhead hybrids it's just not as common you would say not as common. it's not like dogs where you know yeah, different dogs yeah. um so during your studies in the ocean or like just working in the ocean altogether what have you learned about the oceans and the animals that live in it that uh one that there is just so much more that we that we don't know. Um, I mean, we, we really are just still, um, you know, getting an understanding of all the species that are out there. There's still, who knows how many undiscovered species. Um, you know, animals do a great job rebounding, but they can only rebound so much and so fast. Um, you know, climate change is gonna be a real test to see how they're able to adapt to things that are changing, you know, faster than than they probably than they naturally would be able to adapt to. Um, humans can can definitely impact animals so much faster than we probably realize. Um, I mean, like I said, sea turtles became in were around for millions of years and became endangered in you know a hundred years. Um, so and and the, and it's just a fascinating fascinating place. There's just so many different ocean habitats, where from coral reefs to mangroves and and deep sea. It's it's just a, a really fascinating place to study. It's just like you learn new things as you go along, and things you didn't know about. I I can learn a new thing every day. I'm sure that in preparing for this interview that I probably learned a something that I was like, oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> Me right now. <laughs> um, so these are one of my final questions. It's a more, it's a longer one. So as before, I was like, yeah, your website. And I read that you focused on saving incidental captures by recreational anglers. I think I said that right. So what has been like, the save or capture that you've made? Like in the way that like the turtle was like found. So um, one of the things that is a threat to sea turtles is uh, fishing, whether it's commercial or recreational. So um, I've spent some time studying recreational fishing and its impacts to sea turtles. So people will go to fishing piers or they'll be on their boats or um, along the beach. And um, it, it affects primarily Kemp's Ridley's loggerheads and greens where the turtles will, will kind of congregate, congregate in those areas for one reason or another. That's still something that we are studying, what draws turtles to some areas and, and not to other areas. 
Um, but one of the things is, um, you know, you're fishing and you're throwing your leftover bait or, um, you know, chunks of fish and things like that in the water. And sometimes turtles, like I said, especially Kent's Ridleys and loggerheads will scavenge it. They'll take advantage and, and eat it. Um, so sometimes they'll bite the hooks that have that bait on it and they don't realize there's a hook in there. And, um, you know, the survival of the turtle depends on a few things. It depends on if the angler is very gentle about bringing the turtle in, um, if they use a net to bring it in, if the turtle can go get help, there are rehab facilities um, all over the, the country that will take turtles and perform surgeries to remove the hooks. Um, or if the turtle is yanked up really hard, there can be a lot of internal damage and that can eventually lead to death. Other things are if people leave tons of line on sea turtles, the line will eventually move its way into their digestive tract and wrap around their intestines and can often kill them. Uh, I would say one of the, the worst things that I that will probably stick with me for a really long time is a turtle that um, the man was fishing on a very narrow jetty and the turtle pulled the entire pole into the water and he was not able to grab the pole but he did know that there, there was a, a hotline to call. So he did report that this happened. And basically we just kind of had to wait. And unfortunately, a few days later, the turtle washed in dead, still attached to the fishing pole. Wow. I mean, I mean at least he called the hotline. Um, well, many people yeah. don't do that. Yeah. Like, I mean, just let it be. A, a lot of people don't. And when you were asking about things you can do to help turtles, you know, that's one of them. Yeah. If you are a recreational angler and or a commercial angler and you catch a turtle, there you know um, call the hotline uh, and if you have the ability to keep the animal, uh, hang on to it while you wait for responders to come and get that animal. You know the the more tr medical treatment we've had shown that it increases their chances of survival you know greatly. In fact. Um, over 97% of the turtles that are brought into Mississippi rehab facilities are released alive. Wow, that's interesting. Your story reminded me, remind me I'd gone camping this summer and we have like a small like lake and you're allowed to fish, but there's turtles inside. Like beware of the turtles and they're snapping turtles. So some snapping turtles and some normal ones. Fish the line out, it got on it. And like we tried like just like helping it, but I knew that like if you pull it in, it could hurt them. Like what had happened was it was on the line for like many hours. We're just trying to like take it out because we tried saving it instead of like leaving the hook inside. Right. And then doing nothing. So that's that reminded me of the, um, my experience this year. And it's not easy for snapping turtle either. No, it's not. We do have snapping turtles here and, and we have ones called alligator snapping turtles that can get several hundred pounds. So they're incredibly dangerous. And, and so it doesn't, you can help turtles, even, even, you know, freshwater turtles all over the world. Like the same things happen. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a tough time. Like they just so kept coming back to us and over and over. <laughs> yeah. So what was the final outcome? Did you what happened with your turtle? It stayed alive. We were able to help it after a couple of people helping. Because we tried being safe. Like, if it was a normal turtle, like like the redneck ones, mm -hmm. that would be easier. But the fact that it was a snapping turtle was harder. So right. It was about like this big. 
there was like a lot of them too it was like a family and it was crazy at that point i just didn't fish anymore. <laughs> well thank you for helping the turtle <laughs> anytime i maybe help them because i do have a turtle myself it's a the redneck i keep forgetting red long neck ones is it a slider redneck slider yeah i think that's i don't really know the name of it and he gets bigger and bigger and that's mainly why i like helping turtles because he teaches me a lot even if it's not yeah. a sea turtle, just house that's good yeah well we did go over all the questions in a short time okay did you happen to have any questions or no um, I appreciate you reaching out and uh, and taking interest and having me on. I, I thank you very much for it. I thank you too. This was very interesting. I know you're busy you're a person, and I'm actually pretty glad that you were able to stay and talk. Absolutely. I learned a lot. I learned more than I usually do. It's great. Well, it's great learning from around the world than just in Canada. So, absolutely, I I, I think that's oh, shit. I have two dogs also. Yeah, my uh, me. Um, well, did you come up with any additional questions? Anything? Not really. You mainly yeah. had questions and like extra ones that yeah. I didn't ask because you were so good at like speaking. It's like I I would come up with a question as you're talking and then like you would answer it. So like, oh, she's really good. <laughs> I do thank you a lot for joining and teaching me interesting topics about my sea turtle. You saved my life with this project. Oh, well, good. Well, let me know how it goes. I hope you get an A. Thank you. I'll send you an um, edited version of the podcast like when it's all finished if you want. Okay, yeah, that would be fantastic. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a nice day.